0: This is the Iowa State Athletics Sidecast. The Sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Visit any Van Wall location today to test drive the full lineup of John Deere compact utility tractors, which have the power and versatility to conquer anything this season. I'm John Walters. Today's Sidecast is a visit with Tom Crochell, who will soon be retiring after 36 years with Iowa State Athletics. Most of those years were served in Sports Information, where Crochelle worked with some of the biggest personalities in Iowa State history. And most recently, Tom has been a valued member of the Cyclones.tv staff with his unique ability to share the history of Iowa State athletics. We hope you'll enjoy this visit with Tom Crochelle. Tom, tell me first of all about coming to Iowa State to begin with, because you came from Northwestern, but there was obviously a big connection with your parents. So tell me about how it was that you came back to the state of Iowa to take the job at Iowa State.
1: I had spent my summers in Iowa as a youth, and hence I looked at coming to Iowa State and was accepted here, and Drake as well ended up at Drake. But I had familiarity with the state and the Sporting scene, if you will, of the state of Iowa. So, when I saw that a job had opened here, I pursued it in no small part because at Northwestern I was making $13,000 a year and you can't live on that. You know, I was mooching off my parents to do it. And so I called Dave Starr, who was the new uh, head of the office and ended up working there. And then we lived together at 827 Yuma, if anybody wants to check out the house. We lived there for a year, but I had some pretty strong roots because my parents had strong roots for Iowa State, even though we lived in Chicago. Tell me about those early years with
0: Dave and what it was like getting your feet wet here at Iowa State in the Sports Information Department.
1: Well, I had, again, some familiarity because I had worked for two years in Drake sports information before going to Northwestern. And I kind of enjoyed the way college athletics was covered in Iowa because in Chicago, like at Northwestern, if you aren't going to the Rose Bowl, it's a pro town. And so now you could do an Olympic sport in Iowa and the media is going to cover it where if you're doing women's basketball at Northwestern, even today to really crack into the awareness market, you're going to have to make a big run in the NCAA tournament because it's still a pro town. So I enjoyed the visibility and I started with wrestling here. I knew nothing virtually about wrestling And so I had a lot to learn and a short time to learn it because the program had just hired Jim Gibbons. He was 27, I think, or 26 when he got the the head coaching job. And I was about the same age. We both are class of 77 graduates. So I had a lot to learn in a short time because we were good. And of course, would win the NCAA championship in 1987. That was... One of the first great experiences I had at Iowa State, and it was a, it was a fun year. You know, it was a deal where we were not expected to win it. Iowa was going for a tenth straight title, and they had the the Roman numeral ten on their singlets, and we ended up having a phenomenal NCAA tournament and won it on. Uh, cardinal and gold merits, not because any other team had something unlucky happen. And certainly that weekend at College Park, Maryland, is one that I will never forget.
0: What about when you took over the office as the head SID? Tell me about that time and how that came about.
1: Dave Starr, I was Dave's assistant, and Dave was a really bright man. He was making an initiative to bring marketing into the department. You know, when I first came, we didn't have a marketing department. So he saw where that was going, was very interested in it, and so eventually in 93 they kind of changed the flow chart, the hierarchy for the office, the uh, directory by staff, if you will. And it put me into really full-time of the office's media relations. We were in a trailer. We started in the Olson Building, and then we were in a trailer behind the Olson Building. It was kind of a fun experience in some ways because it was a double wide, and it wasn't badly decorated either, so you could live in there all day. And some of our students, in fact, did so and we had a satellite dish in there and this was before they were scrambling everything. So you had a big satellite dish, not direct TV, you got everything. Late at night I'd watch Montreal Canadiens and French, stuff, just crazy stuff. And that was a that was a lot of fun. And the, the students, it was hilarious. I mean, I, I remember coming home from a cross country meet, it was 1.30 in the morning and I walk in there and there's like, 15 college kids in there and they've got the microwave going and they're cooking stuff they got the satellite dish uh, they got music going and I'm like man I hope that Max Urich doesn't walk in here uh, you know I don't know why he would it was 1:30 in the morning but nevertheless I, I don't know why he would walk in here uh if he did
0: yikes well you um obviously worked with all kinds of personalities in that role. Is that one of the things that you enjoyed most about it, was just uh, meeting all kinds of different people?
1: The personalities and the people are why I thrived in my job, because I enjoyed the people first. Yes, we all remember the great games, we do, but it is the, the people you meet that give you the you know the greatest memories whether it was the media the students who worked in in our office the student athletes the coaches the administrators the people from outside the athletics department in the Iowa State and Ames community it was fun just to be a part of that and it was the impetus for me. I remember telling uh, Mike Green, who was my, one of my assistants, and he's the man now in athletics communications here at Iowa State. You know, I remember saying to him, you know, the best part of this job is just working with you guys. And he just stared at me. <laughs> okay.
0: He just stared at me. Tell me about some of those personalities, particularly the coaches, because the fans can certainly, or maybe a student athlete that fans would remember. Who had the biggest personalities that really stood out to you?
1: In terms of students, football players, for example, you know, I worked a lot with Troy Davis. And Troy, he was fifth in the Heisman voting in 95 and second in 96. So we got both years to go to the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York City at the Downtown Athletic Club, which no longer is there, but it was a great experience. Troy was a man of few words, that's just who he was. And so when we got to uh, New York, I remember our plane lands. this is 95, and that was the year that Northwestern surprised everybody. And ended up going to the Rose Bowl, and they had a running back, Darnell Autry, and he wanted to be an actor. And we, we were about the last candidate to arrive, and we arrive, and here is Troy walking up the gate thing, you know, from the plane into the terminal. And this uh, Northwestern guy is up there. There he is, the 2,000 yard man, ladies and gentlemen. And just on and on and on. And it it was very funny. And we had a, it was a great weekend. And at the end of it, Heidi Soliday from Channel 8, KCCI in Des Moines, she came and she came with uh, Jeanette Trumpeter. And so they wanted after the ceremony Mm -hmm. to do an interview with Troy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they said they had to do it from the top of CBS, which I think was West 52nd or 57th, 57th, okay, at the top of the building, not in the in the building. I mean on top of the building. Well, this is the first week of December, okay? It's cold. All right, so we go out, and first, I, I've got all these people, because I've got Troy, his parents, Troy's little sister. I've got his pastor, his the pastor's wife and I've got to get those people there as well because they of course want to see it and be a part of it well we come out of the downtown athletic club and there's no cabs it's like you got to be kidding me It'd be like standing at O'Hare waiting for planes to land and there are no planes like what there's no cabs and we're waiting and waiting one comes by okay I do my Chicago best I get out there flag this one down I put in that cab i put the family all right and i look at the cab driver and i gave him the you know the the address one two three four fifty seventh. he said something back to me that i could not comprehend and sped off and my thought was if that car does not make it to cbs i'll be fired my career is over so i have that in the back of my mind so now it's me and Troy and we're trying to get a cab. All right. There are none. All of a sudden here comes a cab with Eddie George who won the Heisman uh, and Eddie George's high school coach and they were going out to dinner but they saw us standing there and so they pulled up and Eddie George says Troy come on. So we got in there. Well we got to Chinatown and it had a flat tire. So now I'm really getting worried on time here, okay? We've already sent the family, and I'm like, if I don't make it there in time, this whole thing's gonna be bust, and Heidi's gonna be upset and everything. We got another cab, we got to the street that it's on, but it's jammed, it's Christmas time in New York, okay? You, you can't go very fast anywhere. We got there, and I remember Jeanette Trumpeter looked at me, as I arrived, and she goes, you look totally worn out. And I'm thinking, you think? <laughs> so we go up, we go up in the elevator to the top the in top of the tire thing, and then we have to have this guy let us up there because it's on the roof. Well, the roof is sheer ice, okay? Complete ice, and we're wearing dress shoes which is not what the Blackhawks wear at the United Center. They don't wear their dress shoes out there, and there's a reason they don't do that. And there's a reason if they're going to have somebody, they put a carpet out there. But we tr- we get in a line now, and she's got the whole group in a line, and so basically for her live shot at at ten, she's going kind of down the line one after the other, and she gets to Troy, who's last, and uh, she goes, and Troy, you know, what do you think about this? He goes. I think I'm cold and we should go inside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, we did our best. We did our best. So that
0: was a good, honest answer out of Troy. Today's sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are proud to support Iowa's farmers in the field and Iowa State Athletics on the field. Obviously, Dan McCartney has to be very special to you. If you wouldn't mind sharing a story or two about Dan that he wouldn't mind you sharing, because I'm sure you have both kinds. But uh, t- tell, me, tell me a couple that, that, uh, that he wouldn't mind you sharing.
1: Well, first, I want to say Dan McCarney showed me how to show appreciation to people. And I know he did it with you. He did it with Everybody. And he always had like 10 Iowa State shirts in his office. Hey, here's an Iowa State shirt, one hat, you know, and he'd always. And uh, so, you know, I was very lucky. In fact, I'd say of all the things at Iowa State that happened to me, I was most fortunate that Dan McCartney was there and there for 11 years. I can tell you, I remember one time after football practice in the Jacobson building well I had my son Robbie and I had I had I don't know why he usually wasn't there with me then but either they had the afternoon off or something all right I'm in the locker room getting players lined up for interviews and I and Robbie is up in my office and all, then you know he's second grader he gets kind of bored so he goes downstairs and is kind of looking for me and Dan sees him, and Dan knows who he is. Dan was so nice to my kids, I can't even begin to tell you. And he sees Robbie, and he goes, Hey, Robbie, hey, I got a dilly bar for you. Because on Mondays, if we won, if we won, on Mondays, everybody went in his office basically got a dilly bar. And I'd hold mine off till practice, after practice Monday. Okay. And he sees Robbie, he goes, Robbie, why don't you come up and uh, get a dilly bar? And he goes... No, I'll just go upstairs and do my homework. Like, whose kid would say that? You're turning down, you're turning down ice cream and the head football coach at Iowa State University, okay. And I remember another time, we were playing at Oklahoma State and we lost the game. But they were redoing Gallagher-Iba Arena. And so the visiting locker room they had was actually half of their usual locker room. Well, you couldn't fit everybody in there. I mean, you physically could not put the whole team in there. All right, well, I didn't realize that. So the game ends and we come in to Gallagher-Iba Arena. And all of a sudden, Dan's got the team in the foyer there by the doors. Well, I've got the media with me. Well, they're hearing everything Dan's saying. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh. So I, we stand there, and then Dan comes and sees me, says, Tom, come with me. And I turn to Jim Sullivan, the late Jim Sullivan, a wonderful person yes. and a great reporter. I turn to him, and uh, Sully said, if you aren't back here in 30 minutes, I'll make a phone call. And so I, Dan said, Tom, you better not tell me that those guys heard every word I said I said coach they heard every word you said <laughs> now I want you to know something the reason I can tell that story and the, the reason it's funny is because Dan McCartney was really one of the best people I've met in my entire life and he deserves so much credit because First of all, it took us, you know, we went through five years before we had gotten the program. And when I say we, I shouldn't, it's Dan and his coaches had gotten it to the point where we reaped all that hard work in 2000. And he did that by sheer will. And through all the initial losing and through those years, he was always upbeat, he always had something you know, good to say to you, and I don't know anyone else that could have done that. Just as today, I don't think there's anyone but Coach Campbell who could have produced what we are enjoying now with Iowa State football. It took that special person, and Dan, Was just the person to pull us out of the mire. Remember, we hadn't been to a bowl game when he took the job for 17 years. And, you know, it it took us to 2000 to get back. But when I was standing on the tarmac in Tucson when our plane landed and the charter door opens, and Dan McCartney is the first guy out, and all those bold people are there with their bowl jackets on. I started crying because it's something you can't understand unless you were there every day trying to work yourself towards this goal. And so think about what Dan did, because he had to do this in an uphill battle. There were people saying, oh, he's not going to get it done. It's not going to happen. Or, or Iowa State is no good. And it wouldn't matter if you put uh, Bill Snyder in there, they wouldn't win. I mean, he had to deal with that every single day. And he still signed players like Ryan Harklaw, these, these Iowa kids, Dustin Avey, you know, later on, uh, the Todd Blythes. Yeah, Jordan Karstens, and another great example. But he, because he was uh, relentlessly positive, And yes, out of all the individuals, uh, you know, that I worked with, and there were some really great ones at Iowa State, the Dan McCartney period you know, probably had the most impact on my career personally. And I would just say, finally, you know, uh, unfortunately, our, my wife and I, our anniversary date is August 7th. And that's a really bad anniversary date because it comes during football 2 days And it usually, it was for a bunch of years, it was on the first night, which was bad because that was the night they had all the kids in. And they were having different people from different units get up and talk. This was no exception. I told, asked him if I could go first so then Beth and I could get out and go out to eat for our anniversary. He said, sure. And we get there and we eat our dinner and I'm waiting for the check. And she goes, now Dan McCartney called and said, he was gonna pick up your check for you and to have a, have a great evening. And remember, I'm not some 5,000, 10,000 donor. I'm not, yes, I worked hard with him, okay? But I know a lot of guys in my position and no one was doing that for them. So I will forever be indebted to Dan for his kindness, his professionalism, and his steely will that was the anchor for the effort to raise Iowa State football to somewhere that people had given up on the Cyclones ever being again.
0: Get ready for your tailgate with Authentic Brand. Proudly creating Cyclone gear, Authentic Brand makes all kinds of Cyclone apparel, from T-shirts to dress shirts, hats, bags, and more. You'll love the huge selection and all in Cardinal and Gold. Find it at local retailers or order online at authentic-brand.com. I'm going to mention some other great personalities and and leaders that that you dealt with and I'd like to just get your thoughts on them and I'm going to start with Bill Bergen who did some incredible things and you were so closely tied to that. Tell me about Bill.
1: My year at Northwestern in 1985, it was the 84-85, but 1985, Northwestern announced it was dropping track and field. And track and field was a dear sport to me because I competed in it in high school. And I'd like to say I competed very badly, by the way. Um, I always told like Lisa Cole and Corey Immels because they always ran up at the front in high school and into college I go you guys don't know what competition is the competition is not to be last out of like 190 people I go you have no idea and so in 85 in March I went with the track team was kind of like a seven day vacation for me really, but I, I, what did I do? I drove the van around, you know, I was kind of their gopher for the teams. Okay. And one night, I, I don't even remember how it happened, but I ended up eating with Bill's staff. Bill wasn't there, but everybody else. So Ron McEachrin, Steve Lynn, Kevin Burke, guys that would be at the center of my life, both vocationally and personally, throughout my first decade at Iowa State were there and I'm, I was talking to them and then uh, I'm like, God, this is a great bunch of people and it wasn't like, you know, two months later that the word got out that there's an opening at Iowa State. What made it great was that Bill Bergen, who is a just a fine man, okay, just a fine person, and a great coach, and the part that made him the greatest, like Dan McCarney, he worked hard. And I mean really hard, not just when the lights were on, and he had to because Bill, when he took over, Iowa State had finished last or next to last in track and field in the Big Eight Conference for 25 straight years, last or next to last, okay he was gonna have to do some things differently to raise the standard, if you will, okay? And one of the things he did is he opened a pipeline to Kenya and to Europe and sought out student athletes. Because you gotta remember, when Bill built this program and the guys I just mentioned, Steve Lin, all those guys, they didn't have an indoor track. They didn't have one. They literally ran in Hilton up on the concourse, okay? Their outdoor track, when he first got going, was the Ames High track. Then they finally got one because Lou McCullough, the athletic director, called Bill into his office one day and said, "The university's trying to take back my surplus money that I've got, so I'm going to build a track for you." <laughs> That's how it happened. That's how it happened. and so they built that that track out there and in 1981 they won this is before i was there but they won uh the the big eight championship and to be able to be involved with that kind of excellence made it very special in my career to work with people like john nuttall the ncaa cross country champion and the guy who led us to the team title that year and Other individuals, great, great athletes, you know, Bess who would go on to be the first man to run under uh, 27 minutes in the 10,000 meters. When I went to the 1991 World Championships as a U.S. press officer, there were seven Iowa State athletes representing various countries in that World Championship. And so I'm meeting them, I'm seeing them in the in the mix zone. You know, how you doing? You know, it's and so that's how special it was. Bill was a great leader, and he was just gonna do what had to be done. And if that meant getting up at three o'clock in the morning in his house so he could call overseas to talk to kids at the best time for them, he was gonna do that. I'm sure, John, I know because I've watched you come up the whole way. You know, you are where you are because you were willing to work harder than most of the people were. And it allowed your talent to shine through then and uh, made all the difference in the world. So uh, Bill Bergen will remain for me kind of a how-to example. And he made my time at Iowa State so much more special. Johnny Orr. Louie, Coach. (laughs) Um, Coach Orr, first of all, everybody loved him. And I I think it was mostly because, A, everybody knew who he was, obviously. But he he would stop and talk to anyone. And, you know, it's kind of like you wish some people would take a look at what he did. And the reason... When he came out and they played Here's Johnny, the reason people went crazy is they loved him and they knew, like I know he went to that small barber shop to get his haircut, and there'd be like 12 old guys sitting in there. You know, it was like a performance. Uh, When's Johnny coming in? And it was and and they were going to be there. But I would watch him treat people like friends and it was fantastic. In 1991, this is Fred yulo and Lauren's freshman year. We went to play at the National Basketball Hall of Fame tournament. So it was us and UMass. And UMass was like in its third year under Calipari. And this was going to be their first year where they were good. Okay. And then Harvard was in it. And then the Fairfield Stags. Okay. We win our opening night game and then the next night we're going to play UMass now. And it, wasn't a, it just wasn't a good game. Uh, we didn't play very well. But the game was supposed to be back to Iowa on satellite on the WOI network that had bloomed and, and boomed out with Coach Orr's popularity and the increasing level of performance of the team. So... With about ten minutes to go, you know, I don't know, I'm talking and everything. And I remember Howie Davis was the S I D at UMass, and he came over to me and he said, Why is a cyclone have a boyd as its mascot? And I started to explain it and he just walked away. So but okay, he came over to tell me that what had happened was someone the night before after the first game, they had vandalized the satellite dish. And so but they didn't check on it all day. And so like at the last minute, they go to open it up and put it up and it can't function. So the game was not on. Okay, we played bad. So afterwards, I'm walking across the floor with Johnny and Rami. And I said, coach, just so you know, the game wasn't on back in Iowa. He goes, was it? I go, no, they, someone had vandalized the satellite dish. Well, that's fantastic. Rami, did you hear that? The game wasn't on back home. Thank God. (laughs) And, you know, when I came in, he was always, I mean, he, he he seemed like he was always happy to see you. And I remember I was at Coach Orr's first home game because I was at Drake, and I went with Drake up to that game. And his first game, there was no Here's Johnny. That hadn't started yet. But he... When he came out, the crowd that was there, and it was probably, it was probably 8,000 maybe, just went wild, you know, and he was doing the fist pumps, but there was no, no, here's Johnny. So there are so many great stories about Coach Orr that everyone has related, but his kindness, you know, Coach Orr's father was a party organizer for the Democratic Party in Illinois. And Coach Orr had worked for one summer in the mines, which is where a lot of the guys in his town worked. And he looked at that and he said, I got to do something else, you know. But, uh, you know, he took Rami out on their first date and a Coke was a dime. And he said that was good because that's all he had. Okay. (laughs) And it's just his... Personality just charmed everybody. Even the media that were big hawks found it almost impossible not to like Johnny Orr. And it was so memorable to be around him.
0: Pete Taylor. Oh,
1: I can't say anything too good for Pete. And I'm just in a long line. You know, if you said, okay, everybody line up who wants to say something great about Pete Taylor, it would go on forever. Okay. Well, I knew Pete, first of all, because he was at Channel 8, and he was a sports director there. And so I dealt with him on a lot of, a lot of things there. But in 1990, he joined the athletic department initially as a fundraiser. And then he became a, like an associate athletic director and oversaw several areas. And one of them was communications. And again, I was so lucky that I was in the right place at the right time that he was my boss. And the reason is he backed me up 100%. I never worried for a second about my relationship with Pete. And I think he appreciated that I worked hard and he knew what hard work was and he saw it. and, And so he was in my corner. And, you know, I remember 2001, we lost to Hampton in the NCAA tournament. And uh, obviously, not a great moment. Well, we get down to about two minutes to go, and it's not looking good. And I saw that there was a space open next to Pete where he was doing the radio play-by-play. And I I went to kind of sit there because i like, I got to be with someone who's feeling the pain that I'm, I'm feeling. And that was just because I knew that he was feeling it. And I, I would also say this about Pete. He was the most loved individual in our athletics department because he transcended coaches. Okay. And these people had been with, you know, they had, they had been fans under three coaches of this sport, but Pete had been there all along. He could have used that popularity to any end. And I've seen many people who are blessed with that situation, who use it ruthlessly for their own self-promotion. He didn't do that at all and had his feet on the ground the whole time. And it was just something that inured in you an even deeper respect for just who he was and I love him and I know you do too and it's now been what 17 18 years in March 18 years since uh, he left us too early but in my mind it's he seems like I knew him yesterday it doesn't seem 18 years at all because he was so warm and would always back me up if i said something in a meeting and someone was like wow pete would then say it and that was the end that was the end no one if pete said it no one challenged it and i'll t- to give you one example a couple of days after the september 11th tragedies in new york we were still trying to figure out like on uh, Thursday early morning, if we were gonna play the Iowa State game, conflicting information from conflicting people. And we were having a meeting and we're going through all the security things that were gonna be required. And finally, it was Pete, Pete spoke up and he goes, look, we can't do this right now. It's a pipe dream. And anybody who wants to tell us that we have to play this isn't the one that's gonna have to do everything we have to do to make this safe. And that was the end. That was the end of, you know, basically the end of the meeting. And uh, um, because he was so respected in addition to being obviously uh, a, a great talent. And, um, uh, but yeah, those guys I carry with me every day.
0: On football Saturdays, our John Deere run of the game is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Nothing runs like a Deere, especially when it's supported by Van Wall Equipment, the Cyclone's John Deere dealer of choice. We we're also side-by-side side with Cale Sanderson on the most historic run in the history of wrestling. And in athletics, period, really, uh, what, what he did was uh, un, unparalleled almost. And so tell me about that ride with Cale, because you probably knew him as well or better than anybody.
1: Well, first of all, I was very lucky that the Sandersons, and that's the father, Steve, and Cody, the oldest, and Cole, who is next, and then Cale, were such good people who had been raised to respect others, period. Okay, thank goodness, because you could be with somebody that is you know so totally full of themselves that they're a a jackass caricature of somebody's uh worst nightmare and he was the opposite of that he kind of demurred from the spotlight and wasn't gonna run into it you know when he won except for the final match of his career You never saw him get up and you know point his finger at people or anything like that. And why should he have to? Because the most amazing thing, and I forget about it, and sometimes I have to go back and watch the old video. Okay, never during his career, never was it even in doubt. It's not just a win streak, it's there was never a match. Oh my god, this could be the one that ends it. No, never happened, and he would take on guys that were number two in the nation and just make them look silly. It was incredible. And, you know, Sports Illustrated rated it the number two feet in college sports, all time, all sports by an athlete, save Jesse Owens, doing five world records in 50-something minutes at the 1935 Big Ten uh, championships. And so it was absolutely fantastic. And, like, I remember his last year, Albany, the the tournament, and, of course, he, you know, that was a big focal point. And ESPN came in to interview, and we went in this room, and then the announcer, the guy who was doing the questionings, says, well, well, you just like to humiliate people. You love to go after it, don't you? You're going to bend them to your will. And Cale said, uh, no, you must be talking to the Hawks too much. He goes, "He goes. that's just not how I do it. And uh, he kind of screwed the guy up like he, he had his whole thing planned and kind of had to change it. But Cale was a gentleman, OK? At the end of the day, he was a gentleman. And that's why I was just lucky, again, that I was with this high-profile student athlete, who was a real student, by the way, who didn't look in the mirror and tell himself how great he was. I'm just, I was very lucky. You helped a
0: lot of young people get into the business, but you always did it by making them understand that it was going to be a lot of hard work. You never sugarcoated it for them. You never made them think, oh, okay, this will just be a lot of fun. You made them understand it's going to be fun, but you are going to have to work hard.
1: Really, one of the most satisfying things of my career is the students that worked in our office at Iowa State in Athletics Communications. First of all, those kids keep you young with their antics. And you, you keep up kind of with the styles, sort of. And those students going on to do some of the things they did, I'm glad that we were there and able to give them a chance. I do not take one shred of credit for what they have done. But I am thankful that I got to meet them. I got to mix with them because they were so funny and enjoyable and there were some tough times but we needed them because we had a small office relative to our big eight and big 12 peers and so those students got to do things that in a lot of departments they would have just been handing out stats and so you know we asked a lot you know i told them when they came in this is not a job where you're going to be running around the basketball court while the hilton crowd goes crazy okay it's not like that. And you have to be able to tell yourself that you're willing to make these sacrifices. But it was really one of the greatest, oh, just so immensely satisfying. I remember once we were going, I was going to the Big 12 track meet in Lincoln with uh, Brad G, who is now the PR guy for the Kansas City Chiefs and, and Kevin Hunt, one of, one of my great, 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 great students we're going to lincoln and we stopped in council bluffs at the casino and no we didn't stop to make any bets his grandma had left had won some money and left the check for him to pick up don't we all wish our grandmas could do that but so we come we have to go we have to be admitted into the casino and they're taking out their wallets with their id and so i'm taking my wallet out because i'm not thinking and uh, she goes, yes, yes, I think you're all right, hon. <laughs> and I realized, yeah, yeah, I, I suppose I don't look like I'm under 21 anymore. And so it was just great times. And then I was really so fortunate to work with people uh, as an assistant with people like Donna Turner and Denise Sioman And then to be able to bring into the Iowa State family people like uh, Aaron Rosacker, who is still now in university relations with Mike Green, who is the replaced me uh, in communications, and he's still there because he works hard and has earned the respect of his coaches because they know he works hard. Matt Schultz is there still there. Uh, Zach Gorley was uh, a a student when I was there, and we have other individuals around the university, and it's very satisfying to me because they have taken what they learned, and now by now, actually, uh, they're well beyond what anything we could have taught them, but we had the greatest student Christmas parties that you could ever have and that we were a family and that's what made going over to Cyclones.tv from where I was really hard because these people really were like family to me but I wouldn't have traded any of it for the opportunities I had to, to work with people like uh, Aaron Smith and all the rest, Kyle Pelleke. We it was just, it was great.
0: Gear up for your next Cyclone game with Authentic Brand, a great Iowa company headquartered less than an hour from Ames in Perry, Iowa, making Cyclone apparel for men, women and kids. It's the apparel I wear on game day. Find it at local retailers or order online at authentic-brand.com. Authentic brand, look authentic, feel authentic, be authentic. When you did make the transition to Cyclones.tv, you reinvented yourself and now you were the one always telling the stories, but it gave you an opportunity to do long-form documentaries and Cyclones 101s, which are very popular. People love learning the history of Iowa State Athletics through your eyes. Uh, have, have you enjoyed that part of your Cyclones.TV experience?
1: The things I enjoyed most at Cyclones.TV were the opportunities to do the projects that you just mentioned. To be able to work with Rod Bodholt and Jeff Grummer, who are two of the kindest, most professional individuals I've ever met. And to work with you, John, was an absolute pleasure. I think that and the opportunity to do some things like stories that I knew that really hadn't been covered. Well, in part because the the press doesn't have uh, all day, the press doesn't have all day uh, to cover these kind of things. So I was just very happy to have those things at Cyclones.TV.
0: Jamie Pollard's impact on Iowa State athletics is immeasurable. Tell us your perspective, because you really have studied the athletic directors that we've had through the years at Iowa State. How does Jamie fit in that, in that uh, list?
1: Well, I think of uh, George Vinker, for whom the golf course is named, who was uh, athletic director in the late 30s and 40s. And what he said about being a coach, he'd been football coach, or an athletic director in Ames was, being a coach... At Iowa State is not for anyone who has bad moments. And then he said, it's not even for people who have good moments with just a few bad moments. And what he was talking about was just the challenges. And in the history of our athletic department, you know, if you want to say 1890 on, you know, obviously there were some incredible challenges. The Great Depression. And all the things that that happened during that time trying to survive, you know, there was a two-week period where no one at the university got paid. And they went on working. No one got paid, but they all went on working. Okay, Jamie Pollard, what I think puts Jamie Pollard on a different level is not the great facilities that have been uh, and certainly they are great, but that have been built during his time. It is not the great wins in football and basketball and the other programs. Jamie was an accountant originally, so he, he's meticulous. I don't know any accountants. Well, let's put it this way. I don't know any good ones who are not meticulous. All right. But he also has a mind to see the big picture. Okay, that makes him really uniquely set up to analyze financial challenges um, and what will be needed. In 2008, we had the Great Recession. I remember Jamie was quoted in the paper It was in reaction, I think the register was doing a story on how the Cyclone Club had not raised as much money that year as the year before, which was nationwide. But he said the economy has been bad. And he got this email from somebody, really kind of a nasty email saying, well, I don't know what you're talking about. My economy's fine. And, well, you're not responsible for hundreds of student-athletes. Okay, it's not just I'm responsible for my family, I'm responsible for the kids. Heck, in some ways, I'm responsible for all the families of all the people who work in my department. And so in COVID, when it hit, and no one, two months earlier, no one saw that coming, could have imagined anything about it. He could have laid people off. And many athletic departments did, including longtime people that had served there, and some of these people have not got their jobs back. Okay, I remember we had a series of calls. You know, we were in a situation where nobody, everybody's working from home, but we had these kind of conference calls with Jamie Pollard, and I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one, and he said, "Now." If we don't play football this fall. And at that time, it was really on the table. Everything was on the table. Nobody knew it was going to happen. And I heard a kind of a break in his voice. And, you know, he said basically, you know, there's going to have to be some drastic moves. But thankfully, we did. And there were schools who did play games that still laid off people and cut sports. And Jamie Pollard didn't do that. It is very hard for me to fully explain this to people if your job wasn't dependent on athletics revenue. But what he did in those instances to me trumps, I don't care if Iowa State wins, the national championship in football, okay, with a coach he hired. It will not match the importance of what he did for those people who depended on him and what he did to get them and their families through the COVID crisis
0: you mentioned the student-athletes and ultimately we are here to serve the student-athletes and to tell their stories that's what's great about my job it's what's great about your job we get to tell the stories of the student-athletes you've gotten a lot of awards in your career tom but i'm sure one that means maybe the most to you was just a few years ago when the student-athletes themselves gave you an appreciation award for your interactions with them through the years tell me what that meant to you because i know that you very much and you talk about keeping you young you have very much been enjoying being on that bus with the soccer team or uh, on that plane with the wrestling team and just being around those young people.
1: Well, uh, first of all, the thing I remember most maybe is when you came over to me and said, you're gonna have to go home and put on a tie. And I said, why? Because uh, you're getting an award tonight. So I had to run home and put on a tie. That's what I remember. Yes, that was a great moment for me more than anything i think everybody who works sometimes you're given a hundred percent you're given everything you have and you think to yourself you know people don't fully appreciate what i do and it's pretty universal i it's one thing i've learned over 36 years is pretty much everybody the reason for example you know coach or so loved or dan McCartney, was because he took time to thank people And almost everybody feels sometimes like, there is nobody here who can identify with everything I've done for this place. And so uh, to get that award was, uh, you know, I can't lie, it was a great moment. Now you had said I had won lots of awards and I'm trying to think back, I think, I was the outstanding athlete at the YMCA fifth grade track and field exposition. Um, you, beyond you're actually I runner up. I, I think you're more. runner up. I think. No, no, I won that day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah. In fact, it, when I was at the World Championships, one of the greatest highlights of my career was being a press officer for the U.S. team at the World Championships. And the guy who had won the gold medal in the hurdles, Greg Foster, was from Proviso East High School in Chicago. And I had actually run against him. And so uh, I came up to him at breakfast and I go, I introduced myself and I said, so, uh, do you know I ran against you? And he goes, you did? And I go, you don't remember? And he, he goes, no. <laughs> well, that's probably because you couldn't screw your head back 180 degrees and see me in last place when you got first. And we had some laughs, we just had some laughs. But um, yeah, I've been fortunate and I know it. It's not ending exactly the way I thought it would, but if you had told me at the start of this career that all these things were gonna happen, I wouldn't have uh, believed it. And so I am just thankful to the people and the coaches of the programs who took me in and I got to enjoy, you know, when you ride on the bus with the team, every team is, you know, the wrestling team is like no other, okay? The, the soccer team is like no other and you travel with them and kind of learn to get into their, to their vibe. And it's wonderful because you're listening to the music uh, well, I don't know if we're listening. You don't have a choice. But, I, you know, I realized, I remember when the soccer players did this video for me when I was in the hospital. And, and Carly Langhurst said, you know, it's great just to have a team grandpa. And I go, grandpa? I almost shot up out of my bed. But that's the point. It's just... It's just uh, uh, fun, and you know, to, to have been able to work with uh, people like Max Urich, just a fine man and a determined indiv- individual whose career speaks for itself. He's in the Hall of Fame. Elaine Heber, we talked about Dan McCarney and his uphill battle. Elaine Heber being an advocate for women's athletics at a time, there wasn't Bill Fenley out there and 10,000 people at the game, and I can't wait for it. It was the women should not even be playing in Hilton Coliseum. And so the work she did on behalf of those women's student athletes should never be forgotten because it was achieved in an uphill fashion. And it takes a strong person to be able to deal with that. And she did perfectly. And today's women student athletes and student athletes in general are reaping the benefits of someone like her.
0: Well, it's like Matt Campbell says, our guys are used to going up the icy side of the mountain you've uh, you've scaled that icy side of the mountain with Elaine and with Max and with Jamie and with all of us and man it's been an absolute blast and uh just can't thank you enough Tom for all you've taught me which is uh, I can't even begin to describe it but there's so many of us that feel that way at Iowa State and we're so blessed to have had had you in our lives and to continue to have you in our lives and uh we appreciate you.
1: Well I'm the lucky one and I know it I know it and you know one thing that i just have to mention in closing and it's this is a good time cuz this is the most important thing i married a great a wonderful girl i married a wonderful woman my wife beth and we have two great kids and everyone who's in athletics there are challenges with trying to balance your time with the demands of college athletics but you know every day I'm proud of uh my wife and watching my children achieve things is what sustains me uh on a on a daily basis and uh in the end, while I am gonna to have to adjust to this, it's gonna be an adjustment, but The Rock is, I still have Beth, Liza, and Robbie. And I think that, in the end, is what made me most lucky of all. Today's SciCast was
0: brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Stop by one of their locations, And learn why Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are Iowa's clear first choice. Thanks for listening.